0: So, yeah. Are you a little excited for a football? Apparently, there's a football game today. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, and there's, uh, there's a little bit of hype around it uh, as well. But uh, even if you're not a football fan, you can't argue with the fact that the Super Bowl has become this Phenomenon. It's almost become a national holiday, like an additional holiday that we tack on. And if you want a, a picture of that, just go to the grocery store on Super Bowl weekend, uh, get your groceries for the food drive, and then realize how much people are buying for Super Bowl parties. Even if you care nothing about sports, a lot of you are going to watch it. How many of you are going to watch the game today just to watch the commercials? Somebody just watch the commercials? Yeah, I have have some friends that get together and do that. They actually mute it during the game, and then they unmute it to watch the commercials. And and all the people that are executives of NFL are like, what? No, that's the game. It's the main focus. But uh, you can't argue with the fact that it's become this huge thing. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in that promo, that that trailer that they're hyping this game, 90% of it was about two players. Did you notice that? That, I mean, I'm guessing some of you could name the, the quarterbacks. It's Peyton Manning on the Broncos and Cam Newton for the, for the Carolina Panthers. But could you name the name of the offensive lineman on the Panthers? Can you name the defensive back of the Broncos? You know, it's one versus one, and that's how they set it up. The, the problem is, the last time I checked, football is a team sport, right? There's 11 players on the field, 22 in total at the same time. It's a team sport. Sport, Peyton Manning and Cam Newton, as good as they are, did not make it where they are by themselves. You've got Peyton Manning, they're they're stars, I'll give you that. Peyton Manning, kind of the old, you know, wise veteran, you know, in his late 30s. The veteran, you know, that's just how they say it in sports. And then the young prodigy, Cam Newton, coming up. But they would not be where they are without a team around them. Football is not an individual Sport And the same could be said, the same is very true of our lives, especially as followers of Jesus. Who's on your team these days? Who's in in your huddle? You know that they'll go and they'll huddle up in between the the plays. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but they'll huddle up. Who's in your huddle this morning when it comes to living life the way that God's called you to do? I'm not talking about a holy huddle, I'm talking about... A life-giving community. I'm talking about relationships in your life. Who's on your team? And if you're honest, when I ask that, not in terms of sports or football, but in terms of life, and I say, who's on your team? If you are honest, some of you will say, I don't know. I mean, I I come here and worship on the the weekends, and I see all these people, but it's a big crowd of people, and I don't know everybody, and I get my coffee in my donut holes, and I give everybody the Lutheran nod and say, hey, and drink some more coffee so you don't have to have that awkward conversation, right? And a lot of you have experienced that. So when I say, who's on your team, you're like, well, I'm kind of a part of a church, but who's in your huddle? Who's on your team? Who are the people that know you and you know then When it comes to putting your faith into action, some of you would say, I don't even know if I have a team. I don't even know if I'm on the field. For some of you, you're saying, I'm a little bit more on the sideline. I'm a little bit more on the sideline. But the thing is, just like football, we were not created to do it alone. You need a team. When Peyton Manning is going to get rushed and when Cam Newton's going to get rushed, they have these, these big ogres in front of them, these big 400-pound, seven-foot guys in front of them, these monsters that protect them. There are people on the other team that are trying to kill them, that are trying to get them, and they are blocking. There's other team members out there. They have running backs that they can hand the ball off to. They have, they have wide receivers they can throw it to. So if they're getting rushed and they're in a pinch in life, they can just look around and be like, oh, I need somebody to throw it to. Good catch, Jed. Wow. Thank you for standing right there. That was just perfect, right? Because you just never know. And when you're on a team, like all of us are, you never know when you might need to be ready because you just never know when God might be calling you to catch it. Some of you thought you were going to sleep through the sermon today, and this is how. Oh, hey, Chuck, I need the ball back. I need to keep going. Yeah. Oh, we got a lefty. How about that? You just never know when you might need to catch the ball because you are a part of the team. And some of you think, oh, I'm not really a part of the team. I'm just on the sidelines today. No, you are a part of the team. God might call you out today and say, you know, you have a little bit more of a role on this team than you thought. Now I have your undivided attention, don't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually when I look out at the beginning of the sermon, people are like, oh, I'm kind of excited to hear the sermon. Now everybody's like, "Uh, don't throw me the ball, right? I won't embarrass you. I was eyeing people before the sermon started. Who wanted to catch the ball, right? We are a team. Just like football, life is not an individual sport. You need people to block for you. You need people to protect you. You need people that you can throw a pass to to hand the ball off. Last night, I watched a documentary about the 1985 Chicago Bears. Just, just so I know. Yeah, any Bears fans out there? Raise your hand. Just loud. be proud. Are you a Bears fan? Wow, there's four of us. And that's not surprising because we stink right now. We absolutely stink. But I just thought, you know, it's the Super Bowl. Do you know it's the 30th anniversary of the 1985 Bears, the only Super Bowl win in franchise history? And there's a documentary on the other night that talked about this team. And I was expecting like, oh, you know, these guys are rough and they're mean and you yeah, you know, football players and all this stuff. And they're rich and they're probably snobby and they're millionaires and they're all conceited and they're all about themselves. And at the end of the documentary, they asked all these guys, now in their 50s, 60s, even some 70s, 30 years removed from being professional athletes, they ask them, What do you miss the most? What do you miss the most? Now, I was thinking, you know, like I've got a Super Bowl ring, I'm a millionaire, uh, the popularity, the notoriety, the money, the fame, pleasure, anything I want, se- you know, sexual gratification at my fingertips as all these athletes just have readily available to them. And when it all boils down to it and they're looking back on their lives, they asked all these guys, what do you miss the most? And the resounding answer was, I miss the guys. I miss my team. I I, I miss the times in the locker room. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the time traveling together on road trips. And one guy, even now in his 60s, in his 60s, it's been 35 years for him and he said, I haven't been able to find that sense. I haven't been able to find that sense. Even these guys that have everything money, fame, fortune, wealth, they're professional athletes are saying, There is a craving in my soul, and I haven't been able to find it for 30 years. And I don't think it was because they sat around in the locker room and just talked about their feelings. I mean, they were on a mission together, and when they start and led with mission, community was a byproduct of that. What does that tell us about a healthy church? It's people that go on mission trips and that you haven't met and you go on on mission trips, you go do a mission project together, and you spend a week together and you come back, and it's like you've known each other your whole life and you're just bonded. Because when you have a mission and a purpose bigger than yourself, that's what makes a healthy team, and that's what makes a healthy. Church, I haven't traded it with anything, and I've got really good news for you today. You were created to be a part of an incredible team. You were were created to be a part of a team called the church that was designed, and maybe this hasn't been your experience with church in the past, but you were created to be a part of a church, to be a part of a team that looking back 30 years from now, it is our sincere prayer that you will look back on this time and say, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. I miss the team. I miss coming and hanging out and seeing people and sharing our lives together and praying with each other. I miss the team. That's what the church is meant to be. And Jesus actually gives us a blueprint for what that looks like all throughout Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to start Today It's in the New Testament. Again, if you don't have a Bible, grab one on your way out today and take it with you. That is yours to keep. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a church that he started in uh, the, the town of Corinth. And so he's writing this book to the church and he's explaining what it looks like when the church is at its best. And similar to the idea of a team to describe the church, Paul uses another analogy of a body. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be actually starting at verse 12. So just as a body, Paul writes, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit to form what? One body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the same spirit to drink. So a modern translation of that would be suburban, rural, city goers, rich, Poor, whether you live in an apartment or a shelter or a house or your car or however you got here today, this includes you. We are one body. Verse 14: even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Everybody say many. Many, many that includes you. That includes you. Paul's saying, just like a winning football team, just like the human body, a church. Our church, the church, is not made up of a bunch of individuals doing their own thing. We are at our best when we are connected to each other. We are at our best when every person is an essential part and connected to each other. And not just connected, I think you get that, like our bodies are connected. If you would have walked in this morning like carrying your hand detached from your body, that would not be good, right? We get that part, but here's the part that we overlook. Not just connected, but equally valuable, equally valuable parts of the body. And that's why Paul goes on to say, keep following it in verse 15. Just imagine this visually. Now, if the foot should say, now, if your foot started talking to you, that'd be weird. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not stop being a part of the body. Now, I would imagine that there are some of us here today in a group this big that have thought in a church-like hope that's growing and you're kind of looking around, I would imagine that some of you are here today and you're thinking, you know, we're still kind of new. It's like my second or third time here and we're trying to kind of figure out where we fit in and I don't, I, I, yeah, I'm kind of a part of the body, but I just kind of come and do my thing and we're just figuring it out. For some of you, you're saying, yeah, we, we come, but I just kind of come and worship and listen to the sermon and then I leave. I don't really know anybody nobody really knows me and so it's not really a big deal if I'm here or not still others of you maybe are connected and you're serving and you're plugged in you're connected to the body and and sometimes the thought goes through your head maybe yeah I'm just an usher <laughs> I just just that's my little part of the body I, I I'm a I'm a greeter you know I I um I help make coffee. I read scripture. I'm just kind of a part of the band. I, I help run the lyrics in the back. I, you know, I just I set up a few chairs. I, I just, I'm not that important. You know, if, if I was a part of the body, I'd probably be a, you know, I'm not like an essential part, you know, like the pastor or the worship leader or something, you know. They're, they're like the hands and the feet, you know, like the, the Casting Crown songs, if we are the body, you know, that whole thing. Some of you are like, if we are the body, I'm the toe, Right? Some of you are like, I'm like the your back tooth. Nobody notices me and I'm not, not, not that important. But listen to this. Has anybody ever broken your toe? Oh my word, it affects everything, doesn't it? Just this tiny little thing and you're like walking around like this. Like, what's wrong? Oh, my baby toe, it's broken. You know, like, how about this? Ever got a root canal? Ever had a toothache? Wisdom, yeah, your wisdom teeth? I mean, It affects everything, right? I got my wisdom teeth out. I was like out for a week. I'm a wreck. I'm a wimp, you know? Something that tiny affects everything. So the next time that you think that you are insignificant because you've been to Hope Des Moines three times, think again. God is looking around today saying, I think you're a part of the team. I think you're a part of the team. Now everybody's watching again, right? You haven't seen the cannon come out, right? Right? That's what they called me in high school. No, I didn't. (laughs) You are way more a part of this than you think. Even if you're the toe or the tooth, you are way more a part of this than you think. And regardless of what part of the body you think you are today, you are anything but a face in the crowd. A quarterback needs the receivers and the running back and their line. The problem is that's not the way most of us experience life. If we were to go around the room today, And and every single one of you was completely honest, which I'm sure you always are. And I asked you, what's the quality of your friendships? What's the quality of your marriage? Probably the most important relationship in your life. What's the quality of your friendships? What's the quality of your small group relationships? What's the quality of relationships with other people here at church? I wish I could say beyond a doubt that every single one of you would say, I am completely satisfied. I am completely content and satisfied with the depth of my small group and the quality of my friendships and they push me to be the best and they never let me down and we always forgive each other and we never have any conflict or anything like that. And by the way, if you're looking for a church that doesn't have conflict, you're gonna be looking for a long time. A lot of people say, man, I really love church. Sometimes the people get in the way. You are the church, and we're a bunch of broken, imperfect people that are going to hurt each other sometimes, that are all broken and longing to be loved and looking for our place. Well, the good thing is that there's a blueprint in Scripture. Jesus not only tells us to be in relationship, to be in community, he actually shows us what that looks like. You ever felt this way that even like for some of you as adults, we get to this place when you're growing up. You're just, you have lots of friends, and, and your kids' friends are just whoever they happen to hang out with. And then you grow up, you go to high school, you go to college, and friends are just ready-made. They're there in the dorm. It's like, I guess I'm going to be friends with you, you know? And then one day you wake up, and you're an adult, and maybe you have some kids, and you're like, man, do I have any real friends? Like, this is hard. You actually have to work at it, don't you? When's the last time you sat down and had a conversation with a friend, not your spouse, not a coworker but a friend for an hour and didn't look at your phone once. Just face to face like human interaction. I know, crazy. Do you have any friends? And here's the thing. Jesus shows us what that can look like, believe it or not, within the church. So often when we look at the Gospels, we look at what Jesus said, but so often we forget Jesus was the smartest guy who ever lived. And he gives us a blueprint for what it looks like to have relationships. When we look at the way that Jesus lived his life, and we look at how Jesus spent his time, There was a group of people that were with Jesus, that traveled with him. There's always going to be people on the outside they are just kind of looking around. There's going to be people on the outskirts. So if Jesus is here in the middle, or you're there in the middle, there's always going to be people around the outside. There's the crowd. But then we know that within that, there was this other group of people that were called followers of Jesus. And depending on what scripture you read, there's different numbers out there. But a lot of them say there was a group of 72 72, which, believe it or not, is about the average size of a Lutheran church in North America. So hope is kind of just off in its own little la-la land over here. That's the size of most churches, and that's great. Very healthy churches. And that was sort of Jesus' larger, mid-sized group of followers. But even within that, you know that Jesus spent a majority of his time not with 72, but even within that, a group of 12. And they were called the? Disciples, right? These 12 ordinary guys. And Jesus said, okay, God says, Jesus, you got three years to change the world. What are you going to do? I'm going to hang out with some stinky fishermen and tax collectors. And that's what he did. Ordinary broken people just like you and me. And Jesus poured his life into them. But we also know even within that, Jesus hung out with Peter, James, and John, his inner circle of three. So Jesus sets up this dynamic where He's got these circles of influence, these spaces in his life, and each of them are for a very specific purpose. We need a larger group of people in our lives that they were able to, to pray for people and cast out demons and, and serve the poor and reach out to the least of these and do things that only larger groups can do. But then, gee, I can't train 72 people. I got three years, so I'm going to hang out with these 12 guys, and they knew each other. They were a team. That was Jesus' huddle around him. They knew each other and he knew that he gave them access to his life. Who has access to your life? And I'm not talking about saying hi on Sunday morning. Like, who knows you? And again, not your Facebook profile or what's on your timeline. Who knows the real you? Boy, that would be really interesting if everybody put a projection of the real them and how their week really went on their Facebook timeline. Probably look a lot different, wouldn't it, if we were honest? Who knows the real you? And then within that, I just wonder, who are your three? Who are the people that know you well enough and that care about you enough to tell you, get this, what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? Those are the kind of friends that love you enough that more than making you feel comfortable and secure about yourself, they want you to look more and more like Jesus, If you have anybody like that in your life, keep them really close because those good friends are hard to find. So again, I'll ask you, who's on your team? Who are in your circles of influence? Who's the 72? Who's the 12? And who's the three? You were designed for community. And what might we discover if we started looking at this in terms of what it means to be a part of the church? So many of you and rightly so, because this is, the, this is the language that the church has used for years, is come to church, and this is what you have in your heads. Come to church. Tr- okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to hang out in this large group gathering, and so many of you will go your entire Christian lives only living out here, and you will miss the blessings of what Jesus wants us to experience in having deep, life-giving, healthy relationships within the church. And some of you are like, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. I've gotten burned in the past. I tried it and I got in a small group and they were just weird. Weren't weird until you got there. <laughs> again, it's just people, they just annoy me and I just, I, they gossiped about me. I just had a terrible experience and saying that you went to a small group and had a bad experience and you're never gonna do that again is like saying I brushed my teeth once and had a bad experience. I'm never gonna do that again. You know what the other thing that fire does instead of just burn you? It refines. It refines you. That's where precious stones and metal come from, is going through the fire. And you know, and you know this, that the depth of your relationships will always be determined by the amount of conflict you're willing to work through. That's why, husbands and wives, the person you love the most is the person you can't stand the most sometimes, right? Because you've worked through it together. You've taken the time to work through it together. In the early church, there wasn't First Baptist Church and Second Lutheran Church and First Church of the Closed Bible or whatever other churches are out there. There was one church, the Church of Corinth, the Church of Rome, the Church of Philippi, whatever it was, the Church of Colossae. And if you had an issue with that church, you didn't run away and say, oh, I don't like this church, I'm going to the next church. There wasn't another church. And that's why in the New Testament, over and over, Paul is saying, love each other, forgive each other, bear with one another, all these things. You can only do those things if you stick around long enough to work through it with people instead of saying, oh, you offended me, forget you. That's not what followers of Jesus do. That's what the world does. That's not what we do. We go through the fire together, and we become stronger and tighter in the process. Who's your twelve? Who's your and who's your three? Maybe give it another chance. And what might we discover if we looked at those from the perspective of the church? First of all, let's look at this. Sociologists will call this kind of a, a public space. Believe it or not, they've done studies on this. There are scientists that, that do studies on this. And uh, one of them, notably, is called proxemics. I know nothing about it, but I just wanted to say it to sound really smart. But um, prox- you, it's what you think it is, proximity. And they, they actually study The the, the healthiest humans and the way that we were created in our DNA and our makeup, and they say that there's almost kind of a public space, there's almost kind of a social space, and then there's almost kind of a personal space of two to three. And it's just this mind boggling studies, and they've written books about it, and there's data and charts and graphs and stats, and I'm looking at it going, Isn't that just what Jesus did? I don't need a scientist to tell me that. I can read about that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was the smartest guy who ever lived. Watch how he lived his life. Public space, social space, personal space. So let's break those down. First of all, public space. And for us, that happens a lot here on the weekends. Saturday, Sunday at our services. Maybe not 72, but more like 100 or 150 or 200 or 300, whatever it happens to be. And you hear us say all the time, Make weekly worship a priority for you and your family. Put it in your schedules. It is a non negotiable part of your week. And I know some of you are saying, come on, Pastor John, it's 2016. Really? I can just watch it online. I can stay in my pajamas and sip my coffee and put my feet up, and I can watch hopeonline.tv. Yes, you can. You absolutely can, and that's what it's there for if you're sick, if you're out of town, or if you live in a town that doesn't have a Hope Campus, which is those are starting to pop up. It's a supplement to not the real thing. I have nothing against church online as a supplement to the real thing. But here's the thing. Here's what you can't do in online church. You can't practice forgiving people. You can't practice loving people despite their faults. You can't serve other people through your computer screen. Oh, John, you know, there's, uh, you, sometimes you get boring, so I'll just hop on the podcast, and I can listen to any pastor I want, and, you know, it'll be great. And we've reduced church to a celebrity on a stage giving a speech. And the Apostle Paul would be saying, Really? You were created for so much more. And that's why in our scripture reading today, we read, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Oh, it doesn't really matter if I'm here or not. And this is going back to the body analogy now. What if you woke up in the morning and your foot started talking to you and said, you know what? I'm taking the day off, John. You don't really need me today. I'm just your foot. I'm not really, it doesn't matter if I show up or not. No, I need you, right? That's the same thing I would say to you. Oh no, don't don't not come. (laughs) We need you. You're an essential part of this body. Even if it's a small thing that you bring to this body, we need you. The church is powerful. That public space is powerful. And did you catch the problem when I was talking about online church? Is watching church? You can't watch church because you are the church. You can watch a service, but then there's even a problem with that because church is not something that you watch or consume. Church is a family that you belong to and commit to. When we do the new membership class, what I tell our new members is that you don't have to join, but we want you to join this church if these are the people that you're willing to stick it out with, to love well, and to go on mission with. That's what Hope Des Moines is. Not coming and listening to John preach. Not coming and listening to Jed sing. Those are byproducts of it. This is the church. You are the church. Learning to love, learning to go on mission. Church isn't something that you consume. It's somebody that you are. It's a family that you commit to. We are a body. And there's two different ways of looking at this public space. When you come here every week, whatever that number is for you, one posture is coming in saying, all right, what am I going to get out of it today? I hope the sermon's good. I hope they sing that one song that I really like. What's in it for me? The other posture comes in and says, how can I serve today? I wonder who needs a hug. I wonder who needs to be loved. God, what are you calling me to do today? One posture straps on an apron and says, I'm here to serve the other posture of churchgoers says puts on a bib and bib and says feed me. And if you don't feed me right then I didn't have a good church experience which is nowhere in scripture. Take a second look. What's your 72? What's your 12? And what's your three? The other amazing thing about the public space is that we were created to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, and you can't do that alone in your living room. And nobody knows that better than a thousand, yes, I said a thousand musicians in Italy. Have you heard of this? They, they love the band, the Foo Fighters. Any Foo Fighters fans out there? Okay, you don't have to admit it. It's okay. I know, we're in church. It's a little weird. I am not endorsing the Foo Fighters. This is just an incredible, incredible thing I want to show you uh, here. So please don't go home and say, Pastor John said to listen. I don't endorse their lyrics. I don't any of that, okay? But this is awesome. They wanted the Foo Fighters, this rock band, to come to Italy so bad that they pulled together a group of 1,000 singers and musicians to play one song simultaneously, And they just got this big open field, and as you can tell, there's like 800 trap sets and drums. Jed is just salivating over this right now. That's what he wants to do, right? And singers, and you'll see it in the video. And as you watch this video, I want you to think to yourself, what does this have to do with the power of team and being a church? And I have to believe that after experiencing what you're going to see, all of these musicians would be like, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. I'm so glad I didn't stay in my living room listening to the Foo Fighters on my computer. You have to be there in person. I've shortened it down, it's a very long song, so take a look at the power of team. Let's take a look. I just, I cannot help but look at that and say, that's the church. At least that, maybe that's what it's supposed to be like. Did you look at any of those people, were they bored? Were they saying, oh, this is a drag? They were unified. They were in sync. They were doing it together. They were enjoying it. They were a part of something much bigger than themselves. And I have to believe, after seeing that video, some of them went, "Oh, you know, I I I could have just watched it online at home. Would have been the same thing." No, they're like, "I wouldn't have traded that for the world, folks. You gotta be there. You gotta be a part of it." And that's the same as true of weekly worship. We need you. You're a part of the body. We need you to be a part of the band, to play your role, to play your instrument on the team. And if you can look past the weird hairdos and tattoos and all, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, look a little deeper and say, do I have a place where I can experience that? And we sure hope that this is. We can't do what we do unless everybody is needed, unless you're here. We can't do vacation Bible school. We can't do breakfast club. We can't do whiz kids, our outreach to inner city kids. We can't do worship we can't be us unless you be you, I guess is the best way that I can put that. And yet some of you, as we kind of transition to the next sphere, some of you today are saying, you know, John, I, I, I've tried to kind of get connected and everything, but I just don't feel connected here at Hope Des Moines. I just don't know anybody. And more often than not, they're talking about weekly worship. And I'll say, well, have you got on a team? Have you joined a life group? And 99% of the time, the answer is well, no, I, I, uh, it's not really been a good time. I just don't really have time to make that a priority right now. And I wonder if that is the trademark of our culture, that we long for deep community, but we refuse to take the time to do it. We want all the benefits without the discipline. And nothing else in life works like that. So yeah, what's your public space? Who's your 72? But what does your 12 look like? And for us at Hope Des Moines, that looks like joining a team, the setup team, the missions team, the children's team, the breakfast club team, whatever it is, or a life group, which there are dozens of throughout the city, multiple nights. And when I say friends, like who are your friends? Who are your 12? Some of you are like, I'm good. I got 842 on Facebook. (laughs) Not to mention my Twitter followers and my Instagram and my Insta-tweet and my Tweetagram and all my stuff, right? I'm connected. Are you? Do people know the real you? King Solomon was the, well, the the wisest kings who ever lived. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes a little reflective and looking back at his life, and again, just like the, the professional sports players, he had everything money, fame, wealth, fortune, popularity, everything at his fingertips and he is looking back at his life and this is his parting shot. This is what he has discovered. And let's read this together. It's up on the screen. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, excuse me, verse 9. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Here's the thing. You can live out here I'm not really needed. Or you can say, I come to church, I come to worship, and you can never go to the 12 or the 3, and you can live the shallow life, and the shallow life is great until you lose your job, until you're struggling in your marriage, until you're struggling financially, until your kids are driving you crazy and you need some advice, and you need a mentor. The shallow life is great until real life hits and it throws you a curveball. Until you can't have the child that you want to have. Until somebody close to you dies. Until you get sick. Until you get that diagnosis. Until somebody you love's in the hospital. And then it's like, I don't have anybody. And living in the world of the 72 is not going to help you then because nobody knows you. Nobody knows you in the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. Who's your team? Who's your 12? And who's your Three. Do you have a 12? And then within that, some of you will have a three. And a mentor explained it to me once this way. If you were struggling in your marriage, if you, were on, if you were on the rocks with your life, if you were struggling with your addiction again, whatever it is, and in the middle of the night you needed somebody to call that wouldn't judge you but that would love you enough to tell you the truth, who's that person you would call at 3 o'clock in the morning? That's your 2 to 3. Who are your 3 a.m. friends? It's not your golfing buddies. It's not the people you just wave to once in a while. It's not just your coworkers. Who are your 3 a.m. kind of friends? How strong is your team? How strong is your team? And if God was calling you to be a part of the team today, are you ready? Are you ready? And I was trying to think, how do I create a sense of urgency around this that it's not just like, yeah, I've heard the pastor say I should get in a life group, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes it's a matter of life and death. And that was the truth for Brett Greenwood, who is a former member of, of course, God's team, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Everybody's focused on the NFL this weekend, but not me. I'm living back in October in the glory days, people. Brett Greenwood was a member of the Iowa Hawkeyes about two or three years ago or maybe even longer than that. And what you may not know is that beyond the story of Iowa this year, what happened in their game against Pittsburgh before the game even started was probably the highlight of their season. And as you watch this video, be reminded that maybe football's not about football. That maybe it's about relationships. Who's on your team? Let's take a look. When you look behind you, is anyone there? Who's your team? Because there is no doubt in my mind that Brett makes that walk unless he is surrounded by his brothers. Who, when you fall, Who are the two to three people that are going to be at your side that are holding you up? And some of you today haven't taken the time to do that and you're going to fall and there's not going to be anybody there to carry you. And that's not the way you were created. That's not the way it's supposed to be in the church. You are designed to be known that when we're done with worship today, that there are dozens of people and maybe two or three specifically that can say, how are you? And you can slow down and have a conversation with them so that you are known I bet those guys that were walking behind him will never forget that moment. Yeah, I prayed for that, played for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I went to the NFL, whatever. I got to walk out behind Brett. I got to hear the, the, the crowds chant, Brett, 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 Brett. You have a whole church behind you. And my question for you is, who's your 12 and who's your three? Don't leave here another day without getting connected. Go to the back, get in a group, get in a team. That's where we handed those things out today. You've got a whole bunch of things to choose from. You are connected to the body. Play your part. Amen? Let's stand as we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. So it was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus was with his team. He was with his 12. He was with his disciples and he was telling them how much he loved them. And he took the bread and after he had gave thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, "Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Again after supper he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, "Take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my promise to you that I will wash you clean." And I'll take away all your guilt and all your shame and all your sin that you're feeling today. And I'll give you a fresh start. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we prepare our hearts today, let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us together, our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.